Thank you for listening to the podcast of Dublin Bible Church. Well, this morning, um, we're starting a brand new series. It's called In His Steps, and I just invite you to open up uh, your Bible to Luke 19. Um, we're the type of church that we, we like to go through full uh, full series. We don't just do a message here and a message, a message there. Um, we, we really want you to be bought into the whole series. And the great news is for you is this is the first uh, first message of this series. We do uh, we try and take things and we go deep into not just the scripture but deep into ideas so we can find deep application. And I believe that, that my my task, my responsibility as a pastor is to challenge you and to equip you and also to encourage you to do the work um, if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I understand. Everybody kind of, they take their own road and everybody finds Jesus in a different way. And sometimes it takes longer than others. If you are not a follower of Jesus, I welcome you. Thank you for being here. And I just want to just say thank you for putting up with this next 45 minutes that you're going to have to sit and listen to me. All right? Maybe 50. I don't know. I'm kind of revved up this morning. Have a lot of coffee. Starbucks is good. Even if it is a Kroger. Um, so we're going to be in Luke 19, verse 28. But let me tell you the reason why we're doing this series. It's like, I think that there's a lot of people, and, and even in, in where we live, and I love where we live, as you can probably hear by my voice, I'm not from here. I'm not, I'm not from around these parts. You know, I'm from up north, and Marla and I, my wife, um, who, who gave you the welcome earlier, we've, we've lived a bunch of different places. The Lord's taken us uh, north and south and places in between, and we've loved every bit of the journey that God's called us on. But one of the things that's consistent is not everybody understands who Jesus is. So many of us, we get caught up with what we, who we think Jesus is, but we're not really sure. So we're going to take about eight weeks and we're going to just pour into and we're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus in the last week of his life from, from Sunday to Resurrection Sunday. So this year's will lead us all the way up to Easter Sunday. And we're going to know and we're going to really seek and really dig out and define who Jesus is so that we would be able to look upon him and that we would be able to find some application for our lives, just following in the footsteps of our Savior. If you're good with that, please give me a hearty amen. Amen. So we are, we're starting off this series. I want to start with the story. It's kind of lengthy, just to let you know up front. But this is kind of a phenomenon that I've seen here, that I've seen in Illinois, and really that, that I... I have seen in the last five years, or rather the five years that we spent in ministry in Florida. And I'm going to sum it up in this story. Tommy, he's a guy in his early 20s. And there's a guy by the name of Bill. He has a class with Tommy, both of them around college age. Well, Bill asked Tommy, he says, hey, I have this college, or I have this college group at my church that we just kind of hang out in the midweek, and I just want to invite you into this gathering. Tommy's not really a church person, not really a Jesus person, so he kind of kicks the tires, and he's like, yeah, Bill's kind of cool, maybe I'll go in there, maybe I'll try it out once. So Tommy starts to attend this, this college group, and he, he really kind of finds out, he's like, wow, these people aren't as weird as the, as the uh, preachers I see on TV. So he kind of tracks with it a little bit. So he, he goes, and he, he goes into this college group, and he kind of finds some common thread with the people. He really likes the music. The sermons seem to be helpful. People... People aren't really that weird, and, and it seems like people actually believe what they sing and what, what people like me stand up and teach. So he says, 
Sure, I'll go, and he continues to go. Well, Tommy, he, he starts to go on Sunday mornings also, but he kind of struggles uh, to get up on Sunday mornings. So he just stays involved in the college age youth group, or the, the college age group. He likes it. He likes it a lot. Well, he goes to a Cutlass concert, and he loves it. It's taking music that sounds like something that you would hear on secular radio, but yet it has truth and stories of redemption. It's just such a powerful song and put in a medium that's, that, that really fits his cultural vibe. So he loves it. He goes to the concert. The people are singing like they really mean it at this concert. So all of a sudden, a guy like me stands up on stage, and Tommy's sitting there at this time. It's kind of a, a quiet part of the concert. And a guy like me stands up there, and he brings this message about Jesus. Well, Tommy, he hears things that he's never heard before. And he's experiencing something that he's never really felt before. And there's something about it that, he, that he's drawn to. <clears throat> After all, the people are singing like they really mean it. And this person is speaking like he really means it. And he invites people to receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Well, after a couple of emotional pleas, Tommy goes down front. He doesn't know fully what that means, what that entails, but Tommy goes up front. He walks the aisle, and in this, in this moment, thinks about Jesus and the Bible and, and, and God, and, the, and really in, and in the church, they start to make a little bit more sense. In the, in the weeks following, you know, Tommy, he's kind of rough around the edges still. Anyone else rough around the edges still? Still got to work for God done? Don't point at your spouse, all right? <laughs> I really don't have time on my schedule for counseling, so don't do that to me. But I do. I always make time for y'all. But in the following weeks, as you know, he kind of sleeps in and he starts missing church. He starts missing the, the, the morning worship gatherings. He starts missing it. All of a sudden, he gets some bad news. He finds out that his mom has cancer. He's kind of distraught. So what he does is maybe what some of you have done, that he goes before his Christian friends and he says, hey, I'll, I'll, I'm asking you to please start praying for my mother. She has cancer. Tommy draws into the church a little bit, but he's kind of confused about everything that's going on. He gets more bad news, that the cancer is now terminal. Tommy's really struggling at this point, and, and he's asking people to pray to heal his mom, and he doesn't understand what exactly is going on in this moment. So they pray some more. Tommy's shaking. He starts asking God questions like, God, why are you allowing this to happen to my mom? She's a really good person. Why would you allow this to happen to my mom? Tommy's prayers seem to go unanswered. All through this, the journey continues shortly. Tommy's mom dies. Tommy's really distraught. It seems like the prayers that he was praying were left unanswered. The people that he was once with, they seemed a little bit more distant. All of a sudden, he's pointing his finger to God and saying, why did you do this? He leans back away from church. At the same time, he meets up with an old friend. An old friend, before he got in touch with his Jesus friends. And his old friend just dabbles in experiments and just recreationally uses marijuana. 
You know, Tommy's caught up in his old tricks. Now he starts using marijuana. He finds that marijuana kind of numbs the pain. That marijuana is starting to it's starting to fill in the gaps where Jesus used to be, and he used to have sense of things, but now it seems like it seems like the dope has kind of clouded where Jesus once was. Story continues. Tommy then leans a little bit farther away from all those Jesus people and he starts dabbling in porn. So now he has all kinds of desires that he's feeding into. At a party, Tommy meets a girl, and suddenly she becomes the center of Tommy's world. Now she's the center. Now the same place that Jesus was, now she is in the center of his world. And now all of his spare time is spent on her. A friend talks to Tommy, and he asks him, or he's talking to him, and, and Tommy says this. He says, yeah, Jesus worked for me for a while, and now I'm just into other things. That's a cultural phenomenon that's happening in our day. Where people have, they've, they've heard about church, or maybe they've, they've seen Christians, maybe they didn't like what they saw in Christians, maybe they came into a church service that seemed irrelevant to their life, or whatever the case may be, could be a thousand variables. But all of a sudden, the result that you see in Tommy's life is the same thing that I've seen played over and over and over and over again in the lives of people today. What went wrong? Did he really receive Jesus? Probably not. Was there anyone standing in the gap for him to disciple him? No. Did Tommy lean into Jesus when he, when he should have the most? No. To Tommy, spiritual truth, get this, to Tommy in this story, spiritual truth was defined by his personal experience instead of who Jesus is. It was defined by his personal experience, and as long as he felt the warmth of being with other Christians, and as long as he felt the support of being with other Christians, he was satisfied. But as soon as the things of the world came in, they choked out that satisfaction. He never received Jesus. He just received a personal experience. So what went wrong? <coughs> he, and I have to tell you this, he never was a disciple of Jesus. He did what others did, and he walked the aisle. He did what a lot of other people have done, but he never surrendered his life to Jesus. <clears throat> so I'm going to spend the next eight weeks, and I'm going to tell you why you need to lean in to Jesus. Because I, I, I bet there's some part of Tommy's story that's been a part of your story. Or I bet that there's somebody who's living in your home or that you've raised maybe even your child, maybe just a close friend, that you would say, wow, their story is Tommy's story. And I want you to take what you've gathered here and share it with others and let them know that there's so much more. But to do that, we're going to follow in the steps of Jesus. Before we jump into the Word, into Luke 19, I'll tell you a little bit uh, about this gospel. There are Four Gospels, they're basically accounts of, of what Jesus did from, from birth um, through his life, and, and he lived a, a perfect life, a sinless life, and then he invested in a bunch of people, and in the people that he invested in, we just got done with the series 
through a section of the book of Acts and really talks about everything um, that, that those people who were so bought into the message of Jesus and they were so bought in as disciples that they lived it out. This individual is, uh, he was not a Jewish man, he was a Gentile man. As a matter of fact, he's the only Gentile man to write a book um, in the New Testament, which is pretty incredible. He was a, a medical doctor by trade. That's what he did. That's what he did for money. But then all of a sudden, um, I believe that he, part of the process, he received Jesus. His life was turned around, and he was a, a medical doctor by trade. But then he became a gospel writer by calling. And, and the reason why you know his name is because of um, the works that God allowed to be in his work that we're going to jump into right now in verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he had been, he had been talking about uh, Zacchaeus. He, he's the uh, wee little man that yeah, remember. And, uh, sorry, y'all don't like me, but there was this wee little man... That, uh, that he was in the story right before uh, Luke uh, 19 and all of these different things. And Jesus had just got done telling them a parable. So this is what he's referring to. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. So Jesus, is, he's got the, the people at this point. There are many people that are following Jesus. Uh, these, the people are following him. There's something compelling about his message. He has done many miracles up to this point, And, and they're just they're tracking into Jesus. They probably Many of them have followed him for the last three years of his, of his personal ministry on earth. And this is the last, ushering into the last week uh, before his death, uh, burial, and resurrection. So he approaches this, uh, this place, Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, the place you can still go to today, Mount of Olives. And he said, two of his disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. <coughs> Think about this for a moment. How crazy of a notion is this, unless you're God? That you're just going to have somebody go and say, Hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find this young donkey. That's what it's being referred to here. I want you to go find this, this young donkey, and I want you to, these two people, track on. No one has ever written him, but yet they're going to find something out about Jesus. And something that I want you to see, the first point this morning, is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord of creation, and we must follow him. Jesus is the Lord of creation. We must follow him. Think about how absurd this would be for you. For you to just go up to, to a horse or a donkey that has never been ridden and say, you know what, I'm just going to mount this steed and I'm going to ride this thing all afternoon. For one, I, you would be, I'd be getting a phone call because you'd be at Fairview and you'd want to know, you know where you are and what your name is and why you've been drooling for the last two hours, right? Like that would be a bad idea for you. The only way that this could happen is if you were part of the creation process. As Jesus was. Right? Are we bought into that? Right? Like, that's the only way this is going to happen. I have one horse story. I told it to you two years ago. You've forgotten, so I'm going to tell you again. I have one horse story, okay? Over my tenure here, you're probably going to hear it ten times. Just nod and smile like you've never heard it before. Um, not a big fan of horses. They're big. They're really good to look at from a distance. But when you get up close, 
um, they're not so favorable to me. Um, they're great pictures and movies. But uh, I had one opportunity to ride this horse, and it was like it was an old mare. And like, have you ever seen like a horse sweat? What it looks like? It looks like milk on their skin. Sorry to put that in your head, but it's nasty. I'm just letting you know my story's legit because that, that's what it was. It's the summertime in Illinois, and I go out, and my buddy Jim says, Hey, um, you want to ride this horse? And I'm thinking, I don't know anything about horses. And Jim's like, It's a piece of cake. So he, he like gets the thing out of the pen, and he hooks it up, and he says, Yeah. He was actually horse sitting. So if you think you have a hard life when your dog's sitting for someone, he's horse sitting for someone in, in his stable, in his barn. So he says, Hey, do you want to ride it? You know, the, the owner said that, that it needs to be ridden while it's here. And I'm like, That's fine. So he's like, I'll get on the show you first. So he gets on, and he's just like ripping and roaring, going up and down the road. And it's like, no big deal. He's in complete control. He's like, it's as easy as that. I'm like, anybody can do that. That's cool. So I get on the old sweaty mare, and all of a sudden, I get up there, and uh, I start pulling back on the range and doing I mean, I've watched Lone Ranger for years, so I was trying to, I thought I had it all figured out. So I'm like doing my thing, trying to get it to move, and it, it's like not moving. It's starting to throw its back legs. I knew something was going wrong at this point. Okay. I don't know much, but I know that was a bad idea. So I get on, and it starts just throwing its back legs, and he's like, he smacks it on the hind end, and it kind of settles down. All of a sudden, I give it the old yip with my heels, and it just darts. <laughs> and it's, it's running like, like under low-hanging limbs, trying to pick me off this crazy thing. <laughs> it runs through the ditch, and it runs up the road, and all the while I'm pulling back on the reins to try and get this thing to slow down. But it is, I mean, it is like Kentucky Derby. That, that thing is convinced. And it's pulling me, pulling the mess out of me. I end up getting it to stop, and it's yipping, and it's it's in the front and back, and it's going bad. It does not want me on its back. I don't want to be there either, but I'm a long way from home, and I have to get back. So I pull on the reins, and I bring it back, back to my buddy Jim's house. It goes through the ditch again, tries to peel me off on this, and the only reason why it stopped is because Jim jumped out in front of it and scared it, and then it kind of yipped around a little bit. I could not get off that thing fast enough. And that was one that was supposed to be tame. <laughs> okay, that's my horse story. It's also a horror story at the same time. But think about how crazy, if you've ever been, if you've ever been around animals and all of those types of things, if you talk about a wild animal, it would have to be the Lord of creation to be able to do what Jesus did. For, for him, it's just absurd otherwise. For him to go out and send these two people, hey, yeah, nobody's ever ridden this thing, but I'm just going to mount it like it's no big deal, A, because I was part of creation. And if God is the God of creation, which he is, read your Bible, it's in, and it's in Genesis. Sorry, I said Galatians. It ain't in there. It's in Genesis. It's in there. And if he is the God of creation, we must follow him. There's something there to lean into. Understanding there's questions that you have. But he created you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that you were created in his image. So the way, just even for a non-Christian, you have been given things that are attributes of God. Even if you're not a Christian, you've been given these things. Many things maybe you don't even know. Maybe things you don't even know. Pressing on. At the end of verse 30, he says, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. 
They did exactly what they were told to do. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt, and they, they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. As a matter of fact, all four gospel accounts have this, this story in it. This is the only one that really doesn't talk about the palm branches. And the palm branches are talked about in the other three gospels. The rest of them, they have it. This one, Luke, not so much. But all of a sudden, you kind of see this, and the palm branches are going out. There's something significant here, though, because knowing that this is a Roman-influenced culture in this day, um, the Roman government had gone through and just basically trampled and just, they controlled much of the known world at that time. They were the superpower at that time. Everything was influenced by, by the Roman rule at this time. And the palm branches were something very significant to them because when a, a champion, a Roman champion or a military leader would come in after a win, they would come in and people would just, as a way of honor, they would throw down the palm branches on the road and they would wave the palm branches before the champion signifying something significant had happened and we had won. So when Jesus comes through, we see something about Jesus here. Maybe you already know this, maybe you don't. But the second point this morning is, Jesus is the Lord of authority, so therefore we must follow him. Even these people, they don't even know all about Jesus, but he is the Lord of authority. Not just, not just this general term, but the authority. He seeks to be the authority of your life. I would say this, the, the tension that exists in Tommy's life when he was trying to figure all this out, by the way, that's not a true story. All these things that were happening in Tommy's life is because he had not done this. He had not allowed Jesus to be the authority of his life. In our day, there are a lot of people playing church, but who are not faithfully following Jesus. There's a lot of people that are. And I have to tell you, I want so much for you, but even more so, your Heavenly Father wants for you what you don't even really even know of yourself. But you have to put your life under His authority. And amazing things happen. Exciting things happen. Being a follower of Jesus is, is more exciting than anything the world can give. It really is. Did you hear that? Being a follower of Jesus is so much more exciting than what the world can give. Because it's unpredictable. Sure, you may be able to predict where you're going to be at 11 o'clock on Sunday. You're like, how unpredictable, how unpredictable is that? You know? But your life. If you, if you submit your life to the authority of Jesus, he could send you, he could do with you what you don't even know. He could add a measure to your life, and he could add value to your life that you don't even know. And he could shape you and, and mold you and move you. But you have to allow him to be the authority of your life. These people, had, they had walked with Jesus. They didn't know everything about Jesus. They didn't, to be honest with you, they didn't know what we know at this time. They don't know what we know. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have the Gospels. They weren't even written yet. The stories hadn't even been told to the people who would eventually write it. And yet, they knew there was something significant about Jesus, and, and they were looking at him as he was entering in and really in, in being on, 
On a donkey, there was something very significant with the donkey too. When a military leader and champion would come in, they would be on a donkey and they'd come into the city and everybody would know, hey, there's victory. And I have to tell you, Christians, there is victory in Jesus. There's victory in Jesus. Sure, there's going to be there's going to be problems. There's going to be struggles. But he offers the very best for you that he could possibly offer, and that's himself. That's himself. He would not, he does not give you the things of the world to satisfy the, the deepest spiritual needs that you have. That would be the worst thing for you. Then that would be leading you in the way of Tommy, so you would have another personal experience, and another personal experience, and another personal experience, and try and get a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, when all the while Jesus says, you know what, I offered myself. That's the best I've got. That's all he had to do. That's all he had to do. Show the scripture with you in this text. Um, he also, well, I'll press on just a little bit. Verse 37, it says this. Uh, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. So now it tells you why, why they're doing that. They don't understand fully that he's God. There was other, other miraculous things that, that they were going on then. They really didn't know all of what was going on, but they knew there was something special about Jesus. They didn't know what we know, what we have the opportunity to know. Verse 38. They were saying this in loud voices. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in earth and glory in the highest. Of course, some of the Pharisees in the crowd... That's the, the overly religious. They're the people who would literally be part of the process to, of the, the crucifixion and, and the beating of Jesus. The bad people in the story. They said, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They feared that Jesus would take control of the things that they had control of. They put fear, manipulation, and control on the people to make sure that they had to, to do a bunch of religious rules and rituals to maintain their relationship with God where they feared that Jesus would come through and do what he did and say, you know what, I'm God. I'm doing away with all those rules and rituals. I offer you the very best that I have, and that's I have authority over all these matters. And he says, I offer myself. It's not all a matter of the, the rules of religion. We've made so many rules in religion, haven't we? Haven't we? In the American church, we've made so many rules. Things you have to do, things you have to say, places you have to go, people you have to be friends with, all of that stuff. When Jesus says, you know what? I want to be the centerpiece of your life. I want to be the authority of your life. And if Jesus is the authority of your life, we have to follow him. In this scripture, uh, there's a quote actually from... Psalm 18, and I want to share this with you. Here's, the, here's a section that's being quoted. It says, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. This is a prophecy, and this is a prophecy about who? Right. Jesus. This is, a, this is a prophecy, a future telling about Jesus. Many hundreds of years before this, but this is about Jesus. It says, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in his eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? 
From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. Christian, can you say that this morning? That the light, the light of the world, that Jesus is the light of the world, and that he is shining upon you in your life. And I would say this, if the light of Jesus is shining upon your life and you're allowing that to, that light would then radiate to the rest of the world so they would see the difference that Christ Jesus is making in you. The only way that can happen is if you submit yourself to the authority of Jesus and follow him. This text is amazing to me in Psalm 118. This is, this is something that's also talked about in one of the other prophets, uh, Zechariah 9.9. There's a, a prophecy also about a very similar content. It says, The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Now, the capstone, or the, the, the cornerstone, if you will, in brick and mortar construction, not that, I'm, uh, you know, that I, I know much about this, but I know that the, the buildings in old times, and still today, that they set a corner that is a perfectly square corner, and if they set the corner of that building then the rest of it will be square as well. If it is off, then the whole building is going to be off. Then it will not be structurally sound. And it says here in this text that Jesus has become the capstone. He's become the cornerstone. He has become the place where two things merge together. Those two walls merge together. This is amazing to me because Jew and Gentile both meet at the feet of Jesus. Slave and free meet at the feet of Jesus. Black, white, yellow, everyone else in between meets at the feet of Jesus. We're all meeting at the feet of Jesus. And you know what? This is going to be a hard truth for you. Even Bulldog fans and Gator fans meet at the feet of Jesus. It happens all the time. I know it. I know it. But he has to be, he has to be that cornerstone, the capstone of your life. And he cannot do that unless you have submitted to his authority. I understand that what I'm saying is difficult. I understand that it's a process. But I understand how valuable it is when you do it. And I can't tell you anything else that will help you more than saying the way that you can best live your life is if you just submit to the authority of Jesus. As these people are they're honoring Jesus and he's walking down the road, and they're, they're waving the, the palm branches, and he's he's on the on the colt, the young donkey at this time. He's kind of just going through town, and they're giving him honor and respect, and they're saying to him, "You have the authority." But to many other people, they viewed it different ways. They would say, "That's the Jewish carpenter." I'm like, "Why are we doing all this?" Not everybody was bought into the way of Jesus at this time. He had a lot of them in enemies. We know that the Pharisees were there and the Pharisees were sitting back and says, hey, rebuke your disciples. I don't really like what's going on here. We don't have control of this. It seems like something supernatural. I better just get out of the way. So when we receive this, I understand that we, much like the setting here, we're coming from a bunch of different places. Some of you have been hurt by churches. If I'm honest, I know this is true. I've been hurt in churches. But I also know the local church is one of the very best things that Christ has given us. And I believe that, that Christ Jesus, through Christians in the local church, is the hope of the world. And it's the hope of Dublin. And it's the hope of Lawrence County and the city that you live in. I believe it. It's in my heart. 
I want to be yours. The starting point for all this is just like the crowd. The people were kind of in awe of what was going on, but they were submitting to his authority. Have you? Have you? Or have you just kind of played the church game? I mean, for years. I mean, if we were just sipping coffee together, and it was just us, and there was no one else around, would you sit back, and if I, if we were to really get, get involved in each other's lives, would you sit back and say, you know what? I've had a span of years where I just played church. I just like, I went in and, you know, I did the, the stand-up, sit-down, fight, 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 you know, whatever. It's just like I come in, I sang some songs, I listened to somebody like me, rattle for 30, 40 minutes, 50, whatever, and it's like I sang some more songs and they passed the plate and I left. <coughs> Have you played church? Have you? I'll say if you if you played church, I'm not mocking you by telling you that. So many times we kind of play church and we don't even know it. But I would say this, the way to reclaim what's been broken in you is for you to submit to the authority of Jesus and you will see the local church in a whole new life. You'll see it in a whole new life. Jumping back, verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, this is Jesus, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That's a powerful word. He's like, you know what? I, 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 by the way, I take this word literally. I, I take a, this word literally. Where he's saying, you know what? Yeah, if they didn't say anything, you, your religious you know, nut jobs, if they didn't say anything, that's cool. Because you know what? The rocks would shout out at this moment. And the people, everybody would still know whether they were silent or not. Because creation also submits to Jesus' authority. It was part of creation. They can keep quiet, that's fine. But the rocks, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city. This to me, I have to tell you before I finish verse 41, this has been one of the most moving verses in all of my times of reading Scripture. What's getting ready to come up at the end of verse 41? This part right here. This is something about Jesus that I can connect to. There are a lot of things I don't understand. There's a lot of things that, his, that his, his followers do that I don't understand. But I get this about Jesus. He has shown me. Let him show you. The end of verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, his viewpoint, just so you can picture this, his viewpoint from the Mount of Olives, there's the Kidron Valley. I explained this a couple weeks ago. You're going to see an image of this in a couple weeks still. But the Kidron Valley, and it's not real deep. It's, and right on the other side is, is the old city of Jerusalem. The same thing that Jesus is saying, you can go to Jerusalem today to see. You can, you can see the same thing. But Jesus goes at the end of verse 41, as he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. What a beautiful picture of Jesus' humanity. Many times we just... We, we, put, we say Jesus is, is God, and, and we're not wrong in saying that, but we miss the fact that he was, he was human, that he came in human form, that he was, he was God and he was man at the exact same time. The same time. Our minds can't comprehend that because we're just fully men and women, and we're not God. So we can't fully understand that. We just have to believe that in faith. 
that Jesus sees this city and he weeps over this city. He weeps over it. I have to tell you this, that you're going to see a connection with, with point three and four, but point three is this. Jesus cares about the affairs of his people. He cares about the affairs of his people. So we must follow him. He cares about the affairs of his people. Many times we get caught in, 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 in Tommy's stories where we just kind of go through and we feel like we feel this distance with God. But I have to tell you, God offers the very best to you that he can. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I, Jesus, Jesus says this, I will give you rest. That's some of the best words that you could possibly receive. Because things of the world and, and the, the possessions and the power and, and the money that you can gather in a 401k will not and cannot provide for you what Jesus can provide for you. And not only does is Jesus, or rather, is not only is Jesus just God, he cares about the affairs of his people. Look at his humanity. That he looks over the city and that he weeps. Because he knows that this city will not stand. He knows that this city will not stand. I want to share this other uh, verse with you, a passage rather, James 4. I feel like the Lord's, some of you need to hear this, uh, speaking about the Lord caring um, for the affairs of his people, and I'm talking about caring for the affairs of his people. I'm talking about Christians. That he cares about you, and he longs for you. And if you don't walk with Jesus, I just want you to know, he, he offers something to you that you have to receive. It's a wonderful gift, but you have to receive that gift. And, and look what we see in verse 7, James 4, verse 7. My apologies, it's not on the screen. James 4, verse 7 says this. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Think about this, taking point two about submitting to the authority of Jesus and now connecting point three about how he cares for you. What a great prescription to live a holy life. To live a life as we follow Jesus, to live a full life, another way of saying that. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves unto the authority of Jesus. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The only way that you can that you can avoid the, the, the attacks of the evil one is by whom? Jesus. That's it. You, you're powerless to fight the evil battle, the evil darkness that, that really just surrounds us in this world. And we're told in Romans that, that, it's, that there are powers and rulers of this world that we don't even know, that we can't even see, but we're, we do experience them. And yet we see this in the word where James 4, verse 7 tells us, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And verse 8 is, is a powerful word itself. He says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. That means over your sin. He says, All oh, the, things, the, the things that I've done, that I've offended God, just that we should grieve those things, and we should understand the very things that we have done and that have offended God are the same things that Jesus died for on the cross. We let him right to the cross. Verse 10 says this, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and 
he will lift you up. That's submitting to the authority of Jesus, knowing that he cares about the affairs of his people. That's a good word. That's a, that's a, that's a solid truth. And I know that every person who calls himself a Christian needs that. We need to live in that. We need to know what we have in Jesus that the world cannot offer. We can't. Impossible. So Jesus looks over the city. He approaches Jerusalem. He saw the city. He wept over it. And he says, to them he says, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on the other because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Point number four connects with point number three is this. Jesus knows about your future. We must follow him. There's something that would happen in history books if you're not a Jesus follower. History books have even talk about the events that I'm going to mention right now. Jesus goes through because he knows the future at this point. It's 70 A.D., 35 or so years after the events that are right here that we're reading. In 70 A.D., the city of Jerusalem would fall. The temple in Jerusalem would fall. 600 Thousand people would die in a span of 143 days. Think about the magnitude of what I just said. 600,000 people would die in 143 days. That's less than that's that's less than six months. 600,000 people in and around that city and that area would die. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, if you only knew the significance of this day. If you only knew the significance of the path that your life is taking. If you only knew the, the significance of your sin. If you only knew the significance of how you've walked away from me. If you only knew the significance and the weight and the punishment that is going to come upon this city because you have not repented. And he says, if you knew that, like Jesus knew that, you would live a different life. You see, we're privy to that information now. Jesus knows your future. He knows your future. And whether you believe it or not, he wants what's best for you. He wants best what's best for you, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. He wants what's best for you. And the very best that he can offer you is himself. And the offer that he gave the disciples a long time ago, the first four disciples, and he, he, he gave an offer to them. He says, come, follow me, is the same thing that he says to you and I. And he says, come, follow me. That means when we go to work, it's like we're following Jesus. That means that when that the way that we love our, our, our families, the way that we, we guard our kids from evil, the way that we, we protect our marriage, and we keep our marriage bed pure, is because we are following Jesus. And if you want to know the way of Jesus, you have to know His Word. If you are new to DBC, I just want you to know, we firmly believe that I don't have all the answers. 
I don't have all the answers for your life. What I do is I try and invite you into the great story that your life has been written into. That's my job. That's what I do. That's what I'm called to do. There has to be a personal walk, not just a corporate walk. There has to be a, there's a personal journey, just like it's the journey of all of us as we're journeying together. That Christ wants to do a work in you that is personalized to you. He wants to take your brokenness and he wants to mend it. He wants to take the, the relationships that have been severed and the things that you have done wrong to bring redemption into those things. He wants the best, what's best for your kids, but what's best for your kids is for you to teach your kids to follow him. That's what's best. That's what's best. Last thing is this. Jesus gave his life. We must follow him. He gave his life. He gave his life so that we can be set free. He gave his life not just so that we would that we would live happy lives. That's not even the point. He gave his life so that we can live holy, set-apart lives. Lives that, that the world looks at and says, wow, Jesus is alive in you. But I have to ask you this question. Why do you follow Jesus? I want you to, I want you to change your thinking as we're just embarking on a journey for this, this next series of weeks in this series. Why do you follow Jesus? I'm going to throw out some scenarios. Do you follow Jesus just so he can put your marriage back together? I would say if that's the case, there's a flaw in your plan. Do you follow Jesus because you want your kids in church? There's a flaw in that plan. Do you follow Jesus because you just like to be around other Christian people? I have to tell you, I love good Christian people, but there's a flaw in that plan. Do you follow Jesus just because, because you're a student and because your mom and dad just drag you in here, so all of a sudden you just kind of come in and you just jump into the church game? I have to tell you, there is a severe flaw in that plan. But if you follow Jesus, lean into this. If you follow Jesus, not for what he can do for you, but for how you can live for him, your life and the trajectory of your life will be completely different. You can only do that is if you know him. Begs the question, do you know him? Maybe for you, you've been, you've been in church for years and years and years, and you've sung the songs, and maybe even you felt emotionally charged up during those songs, and maybe you even cried during the service, and all of these things, but I have to go back and just press into this. Have you submitted your life to the authority of Jesus? In other words, have you gone through and said, Jesus, here's the keys of my life. Take it. I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. If you're still holding the keys to your life, you're still in charge. And you're not following. Only you know that. Only you know that. If we want to know who Jesus is, we have to walk in his footsteps. And we, we don't just sit 
is just bystanders of all the things that Jesus has done. Because as the story continues, the very thing that he offered to you, the same thing that he offered to me, is eternal life. And as the story plays out, I'll just tell you what's going to happen in the next several weeks. We're going to talk about his death, go figure. And then we're going to talk about his glorious resurrection. And we're going to talk about how he set people free. But I want you to know, you can be free today. You can be free today. Jesus, he, he, he offers to you the plan of eternal life. The gift of eternal life. But the only way that you can have that gift is if you receive it. Have you received the gift of eternal life? Jesus says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift from God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's, that's the way. That is the only way. I just asked the band to come up. We're going to sing one more song just to, in response to this. But here's something I, I want to offer to you. If there's been something about this message that is that has just touched your heart, there's something about it, you're unsettled. Or maybe you, maybe you're even questioning your own salvation. And I'm sorry, I, I didn't try to do that. I'm not trying to manipulate you. But maybe that's the Holy Spirit convicting you of something that's broken. But during this time of response, and there have been many of us singing... I have to tell you, the worst thing you can do in this moment is just pretend that God's not speaking to you. And we don't do this every week. We just try and follow the Holy Spirit's leading. But I just want you to know, while we sing this song, the front of the stage is open to pray. If you would like for somebody to pray with, we have people here who would love to pray with you. If you have never received Jesus, you've never received Jesus, and if you were to die today, that you know or you doubt where you would go, then I want to—I want you to receive that gift of eternal life. And the only way that you can do it is by taking it yourself and submitting to Him. So I will be available for that. If you—if you feel the Lord pressing on you about maybe you're not saved or whatever the case may be, maybe you need to pray about your family. Maybe you just need to maybe you just need to, to pray about things that you've done wrong and whether it's in your seats or whether it's here and just come before God and say, you know what? I am sorry. I I apologize. I repent. I turn back from that and just submit your life unto him again. This would be a great day for it. I invite everyone to stand. If the Lord's pressing into you something, there's, there's a response that you have to do. Then it'd be foolish not to. And if you'd like for somebody to pray with, we have prayer warriors in this church. We'd love to surround you and pray for you if you would like. But as we sing this song together, just know that the altars are open.